Welcome to an episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the DJ, and with me today, I have the Professor. Hello! <laughs> How's it going? I'm good. <laughs> Nothing uh, to complain about. Not Really? Nothing to complain about? I mean, we, we do have a lot to complain about. I mean, so much stuff has happened in the last few days. <laughs> I mean, like, EA go... No, not EA, um, Apple going crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and not to mention, not to mention Apple, but Google as well when they kicked that epic. <laughs> okay, but I'm not complaining. I've just got the popcorn. Ah, nice, nice. What else is there? Russia doing the whole, uh, we've got a vaccine. Again, popcorn. <laughs> I hope it works, but I'm completely prepared for it to be a flop and for lots of people to get very sick or die. Uh, can you imagine if, um, if, this um, vaccine that has unintended side effects, like turns into some sort of a body horror movie. Yeah, I really hope it doesn't. Please, people, stop using your citizens as political pieces. <laughs> Fat chance that will ever happen. They will ever listen. Nope. So you had a good good week. I did. Had an excellent long weekend. Uh, what what did you get up to? Gaming mostly. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Sounds like you had a fun week. Uh, Speaking of fun, so, uh, Professor, you've got a story about Apple going against Microsoft and Stadia. And saying no more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Apple, uh, all through the news right now, because uh, recently they decided they... Facebook gaming finally released with um, without games. So the main issue here is that Apple was really cracking down on the idea of being able to load your own, well, load new games onto the Facebook gaming market only for, um, like, because Apple were absolutely locked down. They don't want anyone doing anything they don't want them to do. Mm. So uh, in this case, letting Facebook load games that, haven't been vetted by the App Store uh, review committee, just wasn't going to fly. So uh, Facebook's released the app without the games. You can still use it to uh, watch streams and stuff. But this isn't the uh, the only thing that's going, uh, <clears throat> going a bit interesting at Apple. Apple's also blocked Project xCloud and Stadia for the same reason. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, so now they're pissing off Microsoft and Google. Both Microsoft and Google had a phone product in the past. Uh, Microsoft's phone product is basically non-existent. I don't think they've had a release in a few years, and I'm not even sure they still support it. And all their phones were made by Nokia. Google came out with Android, you know, quite a time. Was it 10 years Something like that now. The Google, Andro- Google yeah. Android phone. And anyone can make an Android phone and load the Android uh, operating system and store onto it. Yeah. So Which Microsoft- brings us to the oh. other topic. Apple are now being sued by Epic <laughs> for not allowing Epic to have their own custom store. <laughs> Presumably for two reasons. One, that uh, Apple insists on having a 30% cut of anything sold on an iPhone. So even Netflix, I believe, has uh, increased their price on iPhone so that if you subscribe through the iPhone app, you're getting charged 30% more than you are if you subscribe on a PC <laughs> or even on a Mac. 
Oh man, Apple is getting a lot of hits now. I mean, <laughs> this is like a bad week for Apple. Did I um? Did I say though that Google is also being sued by Fortnite? Well, by Epic. <laughs> oh yeah, I said that earlier on. But yeah, I heard yeah. about that too. I was like, what the hell is wrong with Epic? Man, they're going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we go. So the final release of um, Windows Phone was five years ago, which is increasingly worrying that <laughs> we've only just phased out the last uh, Windows Phones at my company. Oh, man. Yep. Uh, uh, oh, no, I- actually, my mistake, Windows Phone is uh, the predecessor to uh, Windows 10 Mobile. So I think maybe they uh, stopped making Windows Phone as a product and we're going to call it Windows 10 Mobile, but um, I don't know if it ever released. No, I won't. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, I've discontinued active de- development and end of life at the beginning of this year. But yeah, so um, everyone's rolling in on this right now. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure why exactly Fortnite are going after Google because you can have a custom store on uh, on Android. It usually involves sideloading, though, which is more difficult. So I suppose they, um, yeah, I suppose the issue there is that it's harder to get a custom store. Do you want to know something funny? Um, Fortnite, uh, as a as a kind of a swipe to Apple, they made a trailer, and which is basically parodying <laughs> the 1984 Apple trailer. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that trailer gets parodied a lot. Oh, yeah. It was the Apple trailer first. The um, It was directed by Ridley Scott, you know. Oh, yeah. And the, but I think it was the, also I, the Half-Life 2 trailer. Yeah. And the funny thing is, uh, from, from what I recall, the Apple trailer had, like, actual skinheads. Yeah, the people with shaved heads. I don't know that they're skinheads as in, you know, gangsters or anything. Oh, they are actual gangsters from what I heard. Okay. Second Apple 1984. Yeah, so the the trailer, if you haven't seen it, the basic concept is a bunch of people being herded into an an arena to watch Big Brother talk, and someone runs in being chased by guards and throws a hammer at the TV. There we go. Uh, So Ridley Scott later admitted that he accepted budget except the brutal budget constraints because he believed in the ad's concept outlining how the co- total cost would um, was less than $250,000 and that he used local skinheads <laughs> to, oh portray- boy. <laughs> to portray the broken pale drones in the commercial. <laughs> yeah, so um, the tagline, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. <laughs> Which is ironic considering Apple is um, now the big brother of iOS. <laughs> and you don't do anything without their permission. Just uh, just for full disclosure, have you seen the Fortnite trailer? With that I one? haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I saw it and I just had a good laugh. <laughs> All right. If you got a link to it in the notes, I'm going to yep. grab that. Yep, it's in the notes, yeah. Oh, 1980 Fortnite. That's a nice pun. It's like, at the end of it, it's like, join the fight to stop 2020 from becoming 1984. Why is he an Apple? <laughs> I think they're just trying to mock Steve Jobs at Apple. Oh, and- Apple. Wow. <laughs> I'm dumb. 
Yes, this is a shot-for-shot remake of the... uh, 1984. Yeah, up until the end when they break the TV. Yep. But anyway, speaking of uh, Apple deciding what to um, what people get to do, Epic is having their accounts terminated by oh. Apple. Oh, this is ge- this is getting very ugly, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's getting very ugly. I mean, if Google, se- I-, I know Google's got, uh, is part of the lawsuit as well, but if Google does a hard step in doing something drastic, this would be very bad for in for Epic. He pulls a MacBook, you pull a phone. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. <laughs> but man, like this, do you reckon this, will, this, is, this is a kind of a big, big crisis in the gaming world? It is going to have massive impacts on how the uh, App Store runs. So Microsoft, sorry, Apple is blocking uh, Epic from using the App Store. Epic can now, well, from the end of this month, cannot submit new updates to the Epic uh, engine, the Unreal Engine, which means they uh, they can't keep running Fortnite on the uh, Apple phones. The version of Fortnite that will run on the Apple phone, if you don't download it before the end of the month, I believe it'll be gone because when you're, um, if you don't pay the $99 yearly subscription, your account gets shut down and your apps are pulled from the store because part of your subscription and part of Apple's 30% cut goes to the curation. And I'm pretty sure they take you out if you stop paying, which is something I've noticed with a lot of um, apps I used to use when I had an iPod Touch. Hmm. Here's my question, though. Why can't um, Epic Game Store do do overall amendments like what, uh, if I recall, Tumblr did when um, Tumblr got pulled off from the Apple Store? I don't think I've heard of what a, uh, what Tumblr did. What's the deal there? So what ha- from what I recall, so... Tumblr was put was put on the Apple Store. Then someone warned Apple, like, "Hey, uh, Tumblr's got some very very shoddy pictures." Yeah, uh, to put illegal it content. Yeah, and Tum and Apple freaked Wait, out. Wait, was it and- illegal content? Like they were worried about child pornography, right? Yep. Not just any pornography. Yep. There was. Yeah, um, that's yeah. what I meant the shady to try and. It wasn't it until later that Tumblr decided no more porn. Yeah, then they put like a very, interestingly, they put a message saying, oh, we've got this very new um, bot that will that will take out anything um, like extra not safe for work material and stuff. So um, with with Tumblr, what, what happened was, so ironically, the mess, Tumblr's announcement got, um, got flagged for pornographic, pornographic material as well. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Because, <laughs> like, robot moderation is abysmal. It's really only now with machine learning that functional automatic moderation is uh, feasible. So <laughs> so what happened, so yeah, that's what happened. So in order to get back into the app store, they decided, okay, we're going to take, take all of this away. So oh, it was so funny to look at. <laughs> So now Tumblr made a lot of people very unhappy. Oh yeah, and was also the reason why their uh, web traffic dropped massively, and their net value as well. Like, was it they used to be billions of dollars, and now they were bought by uh, I think Wattpad for like two two million or the ten yeah. million? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was something small. Here we go. Um, since they uh, announced the ban, I know a lot of people started backing everything up. So they're, um, they're, they would have seen a bit of a bigger um, usage, 
higher usage for that month. Then the next month when the ban happened, it dropped way off. <laughs> and, and with everyone gone, um, they, it's kind of embarrassing, really. <laughs> but yeah, we're kind of straying off the topic here. But yeah. uh, okay. But the point I'm trying to make is that... Um, yeah, why can't they do that? Like, I know it's, I know, I know, like, okay, from the short and long term wise, it's, it's gonna yeah. affect the business, but there is like, Hold on. so what are you suggesting Epic does? They could, um, they, they could get rid of the V bucks situation and then they could uh, get rid of their internal microtransactions that make them money on their free game. That has made them billions of dollars. They could. And it could kill two birds with one stone. You mean? I mean, microtransaction has been the bane of gaming for They're not going to do that. They're not? No. There's money in that water, and they're not going to give it up. There's (laughs) gold in them, their hills. Yeah, but... And they are not going to take away their microtransactions. I get the whole that there is gold in that hill, but here's the problem, though. By doing this right now, it's like they're trying, they're killing the co- the gold on that hill. They don't care. They're taking them to court so they can force them to let them be on the store, which is the whole idea of this lawsuit. They don't want to not have that money. They'd rather risk not being able to have that money at all and have the risk of being able to have that money. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so at the end of this month, you won't be able to play Fortnite on an Apple phone unless you already had it downloaded. Now, while you're playing a, a shooter game on a phone, just <laughs> you. But look, people are going to do it. So it's a product. People spend money on the product. It makes financial sense. But you. <laughs> oh, man. But how will this affect? Here's my other question. How, is this like a- how will this affect the fan base? They're going to absolutely rage at Apple if this happens. That's the point of uh, 1980 Fortnite. Mm -hmm. That's just to rile up their fans. Most of the time when there's a a case like this, um, it all happens quietly in the background. But uh, this is going to really rustle some jimmies and get the... uh, Get the fans going. Yeah, and the set, and it's it's interesting how it's big tech versus it's two big techs versus yeah. one so, little one little tech. I'm not like I'm for um, I'm for Epic in this situation. I don't support other things Epic does, but I don't support Apple more than I support don't support Epic. Yeah, that's that's fair, and we're seeing and we are seeing Apple and. Like it's also interesting how these three companies are famous for being predatory as well. Yeah, that's the fight. They're all as bad as each other. Yeah. I think Apple. I, I think they don't want this to go to an antitrust case because they all have antitrust issues. Yeah, I know we, we both we both are not lawyers or anything like that. But how do you see this play out? Like, you reckon Epic will come out top, or you reckon it's gonna? I think since the case is going on in the US at the moment. Um, it's decently likely that Apple will win. Yeah. Uh, I think since um, if it happened in the EU, it would be more likely for Epic to win because the EU has better consumer protection laws. And I consider Apple's um, treatment of the App Store and the iOS and not giving you any way to sideload apps to be anti-competitive and a bit of a monopoly. They're monopolizing the market on their phones you can't do anything on that phone without them taking a cut. 
And I think that's um, that's bad. If you even want to just release an app, a free app, you need to have a Mac. The $99 subscription for the um, developer license and then whatever tools you, um, whatever phones you need to test with. In fact, there was a company that uh, made iPhone emulators who are now being sued. The, The main idea is so that you can test the app without having to own every single iPhone. Game development is going to be a ver- is going to be heavily affected by this, isn't it? Yeah, games are supported by microtransactions these days. So any game that releases on iOS that after this case, assuming Apple wins this case, any game released on iOS is going to have a lower profit margin because of Apple's cut and that there's no way to implement another payment system or market for getting your money without Apple's cut. Oh man, I mean, I'm I'm feeling sorry for the game developers being trapped in this situation. I, I wonder how much how much contract how much legal legal work are they going to get? This is going to add a lot of legal press um, paperwork into this as well, isn't it? I don't it? think so. You know, I think the end result for someone releasing an app is that there will be an extra box you have to tick on the submission form that says I'm not trying to circumvent the App Store. Yeah. And they'll use that to reject you. But Apple are notorious for rejecting you for no good reason, lying to you about what reason you were rejected. Uh, it's not great. It's From what I've heard, it's not a great experience. Yeah. How do you reckon Google will react to this? <laughs> Google are more likely to cave. And again, they're a big tech company that has a lot of anti-competitive and other practices that don't fly in a consumer protection mindset. So I hope that whatever happens here, the best thing for the consumer happens. And I don't just say that because I'm a consumer, but I am one. (laughs) But I also don't want... I, I also like to consider myself ethical enough that if I was in that position, I wouldn't try to screw over consumers in any way. Yeah. Because at the because uh, at the end of the day, it's the free market that decides the whole process. Well, that's the thing. What is the free market in the phone market? You have a choice of two operating systems. If you buy one particular phone, you have no choice in marketplace. You have no choice in making your own custom tools. Mm. So I, I prefer Android because I can get in there and I can enable things, disable things, or do whatever I need to get the experience I want. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it, the Apple model is this is how you want it. And then you say, no, it's not really. And they say, shut up. <laughs> Remember the antenna gate? You're oh, holding the phone wrong. <laughs> uh, and I remember, oh, but it's, it's funny though that you mentioned with the Apple phones. Remember the good old um, dunking the phone in the water? <laughs> Yeah, what about uh, and that? How, and how many problem. and how many people fell for that trick? <laughs> I'm not remembering. So when the iPhone, um, I think it was a 4chan meme saying like, "Oh, Apple. oh the update <laughs> makes your phone waterproof." Yep. If you just said that, I would have known what you were talking about. Oh, right. My that. favorite is still charge your phone in the microwave. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> oh man. I should but, move uh, it along, DJ. Stop me from yelling about Apple. Uh-huh. So uh, moving along to all things funny and um, enjoyable, uh, we got some big news in the world of Doctor Who. Christopher Eccleston is coming back on a 12-episode <laughs> series um, from Big Finish. 
in 2021. This will be dubbed as the Ninth Doctor Adventures, and they'll be released on collector's edition CD, digital download, or limited edition gatefold triple LP vinyl across four oh. box sets. Big across- finish on vinyl. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not into vinyl, but <laughs> that would be a cool collection to have. Yep. So I don't uh, do all of them because Big Finish has been around for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, they're big, big company. Yeah, but and the Doctor Who stuff is endless. And then so, uh, yeah, they'll be coming across in four book, four box sets, starting with Volume One in May 2021, and they can be pre-ordered. So this is after falling. Out, this is after a big fallout with the production company um, when Christopher Lott left the Doctor Who after the first season of 2005. Let's be honest; it was more than a big fallout. Yeah. It came out fairly recently about having anorexia during that time. Yeah, that, that was that was terrifying. Yeah, and I understand. Um, no one in who was part of the show when he was on is likely to still be there, but. I can understand why he stayed away for so long. Yeah, yeah. So um, here we go. This is what uh, Christopher Eccleston has, has said in response to this news. So after 15 years, it will be exciting to revisit the Ninth Doctor's world, bringing back to life a character I love playing. So uh, the chairman of Big Finish Shizzle said, I first talked to Christopher about returning to the role of Doctor at the Gallifrey One convention in February this year. Christopher said that he was in, he was enjoying meeting the fans and pleased with his doctor was remembered so fondly. He indicated he would be open to discussing a project with Big Finish. So that sounds very good news. That's very good news. Yeah, it's great that he's um, he's at the point now where he can look back and you know bring himself back into it. Yeah, but here's my here's my question though to this: Is this enough to f- fix? the damage that has happened to Doctor Who recently. No, Uh, because only the most, the biggest fans know about Big Finish. And the other rule about Big Finish is that they can't use anything that belongs to the current Doctor. So Big Finish can't even do any stories about... um, Actually, no, there must be... I must have my sources wrong. They must be able to do things about the current Doctor because they did... um, I think they did... Twelfth Doctor stories, or am I thinking War Doctor? I don't sure. know. It's, okay, well, I think the rule I'd have to double check is that they can't use anything from the current uh, current part of Doctor Who. So no, um, no Thirteenth Doctor, no uh, what's his name, no Indian Master. Sorry, I've forgotten his name completely. Oh, um, do you mean the you mean the women the woman master, um, Rani, no. the the Rani? No, that's completely different. I'm thinking of the current master oh, who oh. is played by an Indian guy, which leads to the really awkward scene where the doctor hands him over to the Nazis and disables <laughs> his perception filter. So the Nazis pick him up and they're like, hey, what's this Indian spy doing here? And throw him <laughs> in a concentration camp. Because the, uh, <laughs> the Nazis are not known for being great about their treatment of people who aren't white. <laughs> Oh, you mean, um, oh, I know who you were talking about, Sasha the One. That's it, Sasha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say this, though. Like, I, w- like, I don't know, after the Jodie Whittaker season, I just, I was like, ah. <laughs> like, it was good. They had, like, they brought in, like, a couple of new stuff into the Doctor Who story, but I just thought they've, they've, retro- they've retroactively 
changed her story. <laughs> like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, there are a lot of people. I feel like I'm seeing more complaining now than I ever have. And people always complain about Doctor Who. It's the uh, the second biggest Doctor Who fan activity after watching the show. Yeah. And also arguing about why your Doctor is the best Doctor. But um, the a lot of people aren't happy with Chris Chibnall. And a lot of it feels like wasted potential. Oh, yeah. So you, you know what's interesting? You know, another interesting question I would like to ask, though, is this a is this a small step to something big for Christopher for the Doctor Who franchise? Like, will we see Christopher Eccleston in a 60th anniversary special? I hope so. That's I coming won't. up. Three years. BBC, don't cancel the show in the next three years, please. <laughs> I mean, we've made it this far, BBC. Don't do it. <laughs> I mean, yes, they. Um... I mean, we're, I mean, everyone's hoping, like, someone, maybe Christopher Tennant or Matt Smith or even David Tennant. You said Christopher Tennant. Oop, <laughs> my bad. Yep. Christopher Eccleston. Like, they, they, they all left oh. when... They all left um doc they they left um Doctor Who fans with joy and wonder and stuff like even Peter Capaldi made good he was good <laughs> hey don't diss Capaldi I said he was good he was good not dissing Capaldi don't <laughs> like, even make it sound like you are <laughs> it's just that the new you Doctor said even like, Peter Capaldi came good yeah he came good he was good he was good are you implying he came good he wasn't good at the beginning no. <laughs> You'd better not be. <laughs> but, okay, the point I'm trying to make is that... Yes, this they wanted th- Eccleston for the 50th. Yeah. They couldn't but- get Eccleston for the 50th because he was still dealing with the, you know... Anorexic stuff, yeah. Yeah, well, even not that in particular, but just dealing with not wanting anything to do with it. Yeah. He enjoyed... Uh, I understand he enjoyed making the show, but when it got, came to dealing with the the production outside the actual, um, you know, outside of the actual episode and dealing with the production crew, he wasn't happy. So it, it, an interesting thing that you mentioned about the 50th anniversary is here's an interesting fact. He even fin- refused a final regeneration scene in that episode with John Hurt, though the BBC got away with using his eyes. Yeah, yeah, they uh, kind of face merge his face onto um onto John Hurt in the regeneration, and then cut away just before they'd have to make it too explicit. Yeah, still had more of a face than Peter Capaldi did, though. Yeah, Peter so, Capaldi just had the attack eyebrows. Oh, he he had he he was good. He was good, especially when that fiftieth anniversary scene, like all thirteen, and you get that eyebrows and like, Oh, that's good. That's good. That was a good moment. Yes. Watching it in cinemas was amazing. Oh, you are, oh, man. I, I watched it at, I watched it on the computer screen. I was like, damn it. Should have watched it on movies. Yeah. But yes, they, um, so they wanted him for the 50th. The original script had him in place of John Hurt. Mm-hmm. And they only brought in John Hurt because they couldn't get him. So they had to bodge together an extra doctor who fits in between eight and nine and calls himself the war doctor because he, um, <clears throat> can't reconcile being a like going around killing lots of Daleks as being the doctor. And then at the end of uh, the 50th special, John Hurt starts to regenerate and they give you just a flash of Christopher Eccleston. And that's um, as, as far as they got. So I'm hoping they can bring him in in the 60th. 
if they do a 60th special, which I hope they do, because I'm probably not going to be alive for the uh, the hundredth. <laughs> I'm not sure any of us will be. <laughs> Only science can tell. Only science will tell. And uh, interestingly, someone, some lucky soul, managed to do this. They managed to do the War Doctor regeneration complete with Christopher Eccleston. Oh, yeah. Let's pull that up and see what the uh, CGI is like. Yeah, not that um, John Hurt's a bad actor in any way. He was awesome as the War Doctor. Yeah, it's just not what anyone was expecting. Yeah, the John John Hurt, God bless his soul. Oh, um, not bad, not bad. Yeah, yeah. That's Good. um. I think have they just reversed footage from uh, Equestrian's regeneration into into ten? So yeah. Yep. Yes, and even two years ago, so this um this link in the show notes. Even two years ago, people were commenting. Uh, given Eccleston has said he will never touch Doctor Who again, uh, and Hurt has died, we'll never get a real version of this. Mm. Mm. Well, we've got one thing coming, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, also in- interestingly, um, one of the other uh, people has um also said about the uh, Christopher Eccleston's introduction into uh, big finish he said and the and then the pandemic happened and time moved on both quickly and very slowly over recent months ideas have been exchanged and discussions had i'm so pleased that christopher had re- decided to return with, to the role with us i'm excited to welcome him to the big finish family as we discover the new adventures of the ninth doctor um i just want to ask i think did I, did I say about the continuity how this will affect it well big finish is basically non-canon ah <laughs> the, uh, there's a sort of canon hierarchy. Anything in the show, then anything in Big Finish or in the uh, in the official novelizations, really, I suppose. So anything in the show, anything in the novelizations, anything in Big Finish, basically anything else. Um, wow. Big Finish has been doing stories like they basically have a hat full of names and they pull them out and they're like Seventh Doctor, Companions of the First Doctor. Let's go. <laughs> they do anything, really. So, like, keeping track of the canon in the main TV show is bad enough. You'd never keep up if you tried to canon uh, Big Finish. Yeah. So they do series uh, stories, but um, for the most part, it's uh, non-canon. True. That's true. Yeah, actually, that's an interesting article you've uh, sent me there. Yeah. Uh, that Big Finish have to get the script approved by the main writing team. Oh, no, that means Chris Chibnall's... Oh, wait. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Don't panic. Oh. <laughs> Don't panic because um, the, uh, the Big Finish stuff, they're allowed to do basically anything they want as long as BBC approves it. So you get all sorts of wild stories. Uh, speaking of um, wild stories, uh, we've got a story about uh, Ocean World being found. Woo-hoo. And it's called Seras. Seres. Oh. Not Seras. Thank you. What the hell is a Seras? Seras. <laughs> Seras, sorry. Are you just sitting there on your Seras? <laughs> Yes, my Sarah's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my Sarah's is asleep. Sarah's is a uh, <laughs> something like that. It's a skin condition. <laughs> you mean eczema? Uh, f- no. <laughs> anyway, so. Oh, so Psoriasis. Psoriasis. 
So, uh, Ceres has been found by a NASA spacecraft, Dawn, and it is uh, it's the largest um, object in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, and the only dwarf planet inside the orbit of Neptune, and it is confirmed to be an ocean world. I wonder if it's a liquid ocean world, or if it's um, like water on the surface. No, it couldn't be. It would need an atmosphere for that. Mm. Or the water would just boil off into space. Maybe if it's uh, a young enough planet, the uh, water wouldn't boil off in time. But I think it probably um, has a uh, an outer layer of of ice. And good and good news is it's geologically active um, recently and maybe today. So they already knew that Ceres has been home to ice volcanoes or cryovolcanic activity, uh, due in part to the presence of bright sodium carbonate carbonate salts on its surface. And now uh, Dr. Raymond, the, one of the few scientists that's investigating this, is confident they've identified a deep brine reservoir that still uh, exists beneath the Akata uh, crater. Oh, okay. So it is a, um underground reservoir. Yeah. So uh, it's another big idea to emerge from this data is that Ceres um, belong firmly in the realm of what we would call ocean world, says planetary research scientist Craig O'Neill of Macquarie University, who wasn't involved in the research. Uh, this okay. doesn't mean so that doesn't mean there's water sloshing around on on the surface. Ah, uh, yep, yep. Here's but, the point I was making about it bubbling off. Uh, they reckon maybe a hundred years on the high end. Yeah, and uh, I'll be putting Sorry, down on the this, surface. Yep. And yeah. I'll be putting down the uh, studies that they found on um, on Ceres. In a second, so they're saying Ceres is a completely different situation out in the asteroid belt and millions of miles from anywhere. Uh, it's not getting it's not getting energy at all from a bit of radioactivity in its interior, although not enough to keep it hot for long periods of time. So yep. they're saying. It's, uh, the interior of Ceres does contain liquid, really, really salty liquid or brine. Well, that makes sense because um, salty water has a lower freezing point. Yeah. It's uh, surrounded by a... Um, yeah, the crust is clathrates, which are natural um, sort of... Basically a natural insulator. Yeah. And it's internal, which means that it um, keeps the, the water from boiling off into space. The cool part is, though, that uh, it's had the, you know, these are all the sort of precursors to developing life as we know it. Yeah. The interesting part is, though, like, is evolution possible in that uh, in that sort of area? That's what I just said. It is. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. All of the assumptions on uh, of the beginning of life is that it begins in water, and the water has to be warm enough to basically not freeze and kill the life so uh, but having the uh the asteroid you know s- still be liquid means there could be water dwelling uh extremophiles really living in the uh in the lake so does that mean we get to see the um the start of the start of life all over again possibly i mean it would be interesting to see their like precursors to life so a lot of studies have shown that you can generate uh, the precursors to to life, the basic amino acids, 
in in a lab under certain conditions and the um those conditions include stuff like uh, an input of energy so one experiment used um electrical arcing one might use radiation uh, on earth obviously the energy input is from the sun so mm-hmm. we have a lot of uh photosynthesizing life so anything you find on Ceres is probably going to be an extremophile that synthesizes either a chemical in the rock or radiation. So it would be really great to get there and find, even if not proteins or like, so amino acids make up proteins, make up DNA, make up life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the amino acids can be created in the lab, but no lab has kept the experiment running long enough to create life, which A, because it's, it only took a couple of billion years to get there, and B, we could create something absolutely horrifying that would end the world, oh no. <laughs> oh no, coronavirus 2.0, no! Too soon, man, too soon. <laughs> Uh, no, um, apart from horror movies, so the um, it, although uh, here's a here's the thing though, can you imagine if it becomes like that movie Evolution? Oh yes, the uh, the asteroid carrying the single-celled organism lands on Earth and it rapidly mutates into big effing monster, <laughs> and they go through like the ele- like the um, elemental ta- elementary table in the process. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so for life to form on um, Ceres, there would have to be the inputs that would create the amino acids, which would then form into proteins and so on, until you get complex life. Uh, Single-celled organism. And then um, multicellular organisms are theorized to to have begun as single-celled organisms that have formed a symbiotic relationship with another single-celled life form. And... You build up from there. You're unlikely to find, you know, ET there, but you could find probably single-celled life. And even finding the precursors to that is big. It will. It, the interesting part is this will also uh, this this could potentially answer that question: um, Is there life outside Earth? Like we've been, uh, we we always have, always had that question: Is there life out? Is there life on Mars? Or is there life? Um, in space now, th- I think now we have some proof that there is. Yeah, the <clears throat> the evidence is just that it could exist. That the conditions that could lead to life aren't unique to Earth. The question is, does it exist? Has it happened? Where has it happened? Where can we find them? Do they taste delicious? <laughs> and can the peng and will the penguins use this <laughs> use their technology to raise an army of Evil penguin clones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, it'll be interesting to see another. We could see another lander landing on Ceres, and <laughs> let's see how that turns out. Yes. So uh, I would love to see something happen there. Some sort of life. It's not likely, but I would love it. So, uh, Professor, what game have you been playing? Death Stranding. Oh. He- but I haven't played it much because I've run into a couple of crash bugs. <laughs> so this is going to sound worse than it actually is, but one of the weapons is made with your bodily secretions. <laughs> and the what? game crashes every time I sit on the toilet. 
And then I decided I'm not going to sit on the toilet. I'm just going to hold it in. So <laughs> I walked around for a bit and the game crashed and I decided to give it a break for a bit and see <laughs> if uh, a new patch would come out. <laughs> so instead, I've been playing Fall Guys. Oh, so you caught onto the Fall Guys bandwagon, hey? There's no one who hasn't. Me. <laughs> Look, I don't care what you do with your horrible deviant life. <laughs> Just don't do it near me. <laughs> hey, I do. I, I do. I know things like work and play, work and play. <laughs> but that doesn't include playing Fall Guys, and for that, you should be shunned. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> no, you should be put into a show that has Fall Guy, like the actual Fall Guys, the show, which is just <laughs> you know Wipeout and Takeshi's Castle and all of that. But with uh, actual um, actual slime that kills you. <laughs> How is it like, though, for, with the Fall Guys game? It's a lot of fun. So basically, it's a series of, um, of physics-based mini-games leading to one player being dubbed the king, uh, elimination-based rounds. So, yeah, you know, a lot like um, Takeshi's Castle or Wipeout, there's obstacle courses... Uh, soccer with giant balls. Uh, there are things being thrown at you that knock you off the uh, off the level, um, and you know it's a lot of fun. And it it doesn't have the same stress that a uh, regular battle royale has, even though there's only one winner. Does it so come with by a technicality? It slides into the battle royale genre. Huh. Does it come with loot boxes as well, like every other battle royale? Uh, n- no. No loot boxes. You earn uh, currency through playing the game, and you use that currency to buy um, costumes in the store. And as far as I'm aware, every costume is available to free to play players. So you can buy microtransactions to speed things up. Uh, there is a time limit on some items that rotate through the store, but you um you can uh. Oh. I've, I'm pretty sure you can get everything for free. What's your favorite game in the in this um, Fall Guys game so far? Um, there's a lot of them that I really enjoy. I think while well, I think of that, my least favorite is um, I don't remember the name of it, Fruit Match or something like that. So you're standing on a board, a grid of squares. Uh, each each square is a different um, <clears throat> a different fruit, and you're told stand on the square that has this fruit when. And when the timer runs out, the uh, you find out what square you need to be on, but all the squares have gone blank. Oh, you mean uh, fruit shoot? No. Okay. Fruit shoot isn't too bad. Fruit shoot, they throw um, throw fruit at you while you try to walk up a hill. Ah, uh, okay. And it's giant fruit, and it knocks you over. Okay. But um, the uh, you don't often see anybody get taken out on the um on the ma- fruit match one. So I wouldn't mind seeing that taken out of the rotation because if you're in that one, you're basically guaranteed to have an extra round because there's um, too many players to go through to the finale. Mm. And there are some latency issues, uh, but uh, it still feels pretty good. So actually, the, the level that I wish they would have is a cooperative obstacle course. So there's a couple of team-based games, and um, I hope that a I hope that they figure out how to change it because at the moment you end up with one team falling behind and then getting ganged up on by the other two teams because they are um, they're behind and only the team in last place gets eliminated. 
So the goal is less win and more don't come last. Uh, so I, I hope they find a way to rebalance it so that, you know, if you're in the losing team, it feels less crushing. But, um, you know, game theory dictates that you play it that way. But what I'd like to see is a cooperative obstacle course. Oh, nice. There's competitive obstacle courses. And actually, there might be one sort of uh, cooperative one where you're pushing a ball down a track and racing. Uh, but I, I've only done it once and don't really remember it. But I'd like to see one where you're split into teams and you have to run through, like, one player will hold a button while the others run through the door or something like that. I mean, it would so. be cool to see, like, a, see maybe, like, duos or probably trios. It'd be fun to see that, uh, see that sort of a style, like du- uh, duo, duo race kind of thing. You know, like, um, you know how in birthday parties there's there's that three legged race. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That would. Imagine- I don't know how that would work with latency, but that's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe one where you have to work together to get past the obstacles. Although there's no voice chat, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you. I guess in that case, you'll always get stuff with um, stuck with an absolute moron who can't play the game. <laughs> yeah, but you can, um, you can for the most part in most team games. There's enough players that one missing player doesn't make a huge difference. Enough. So how how much would you rate this game out of? Uh, I'm really enjoying it, apart from the issues. So four out of five. I'm going to absolutely going to keep playing it. I'll probably go and play it when we're done tonight. But um, <laughs> I, it does have flaws that I think need to be addressed. It was interesting though with uh, when Paul <clears throat> guys went on Twitter. It was insane. Everyone starts loving that game. Like boom. Yeah, it's a really simple idea implemented decently well. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Yep. So Did what bo- have you been playing? Uh, I play? I've been playing League of Legends. Yes, unfortunately, I've joined everybody, everybody into playing League Why don't of you Legends. Do that to yourself. <laughs> I don't so, know. give us the elevator pitch. What is League of Legends? Assume that I've never played it. League of Legends is a heroes only game. You uh, where you play it as one team of heroes versus another team of heroes, and you're trying to destroy their base. Now and... describe it like I'm a Velociraptor. <laughs> now the now your now your herd has to try and try and get the other uh, try and kill the other herd that's protecting the meat that you want to eat. Well, first they're made out of meat, <laughs> so I just eat them. But also. I'm a Velociraptor. I don't speak English. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> Stupid Jurassic Park movies thinking they can, they, can, they can understand English. Well, it's only the third one that would give you that any, any idea of that. <laughs> and we know what people think about the third one. An absolute trash fire? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, um, I've started playing it and I'm still learning how to play it and it's just... It's interesting. It's not unlike Dota, where it's just constantly, um, constant, constant button mashing and stuff. Don't league. You just have to time your attacks much more carefully. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a good concept, and I do enjoy that sort of style. But I don't play league often because I have no interest in playing with random people. Yep. And there's no way to solo. Yeah. And uh, I feel like there's um. You know, I only play it once a year or something, if that. 
and uh, there's too many characters for a super casual like me to learn. But I'm a super casual, so they're not marketing to me. Hmm. I'm not spending money on the game, so. Nah, I, I mean. I'm also super casual when it comes to like Mobus uh, Mobus games, um, but yeah, I wouldn't spend my money on that, on this. Like, I would watch it for like I would watch a game of League of Legends from a distance kind of thing, if just for the because they're professionals and yeah. like I was watching a I was watching um, a friend of mine playing a bit of um, League of Legends. I was seeing like his health was like near death, and, and he's trying to escape the situation. I was going, "Go, go, get out of there, get out of there!" And then he escaped. Like, oh, thank God, he did it. <laughs> so, are you playing with friends? No, I'm just doing it by myself. But I do agree with you. The biggest flaw with some with the with games like this is the fact that you have to deal when when you're playing with um other people and you don't know how how they're um levels are like and stuff and sometimes they don't like to play in a team they like to play in a solo yeah so tend to um tend to attract a particular breed of toxicity yeah i think because uh they rely on teamwork you can't really solo a moba or um like a lot of other multiplayer games if one of your players is useless you can carry the team but it's harder to do that in a moba yeah so what, what do you rate it? Um, I would rate this game uh, three and a half out of five. Should and I... we will take 500 points off for the community. <laughs> yes. 500 points off for the community. So three and a half. There we go. Yep. So uh, on to our recent, sh- on to our shout outs. Uh, 10th of August, 2020, uh, CSIRO Parks Radio Telescope, the di- also known as the Dish, has been added to the National Heritage List. So uh, the CSIRO Parks Radio... Radio Telescope is being added to the National Heritage List in recognition of the role that it played in Australia's history. The 64-meter diameter um, telescope was regarded as an achievement of engineering and technical design when it was completed in 1961. It played a key role in receiving the television signal from the Apollo 11 mission to the moon in 1969 and sharing the moment with 600 million people across the world, around the world. The events you know, were more- uh, my grandfather was one of the first people in Australia to see the photos from the moon. Yeah, he, he was a photographer at the Sydney Morning Herald, oh. I think. And he, um, he was working the fax machine that day. They had a particular kind of fax that if you were receiving something, you needed to be there um, operating it. I don't know exactly what the machine was anymore, uh, but uh, the, he was on, on duty receiving the photos that day. Does he still have those photos? No, but you'd find them in the the Sydney Morning Herald has a um a photo archive. Oh, but if he has so, the actual copy, though, I mean, like that, oh, that would be, be great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, flipping hell, that that'd be awesome. Just imagine keeping that and just passing it to your to your children, your children's children, and stuff like a family heirloom. Yeah. So um, the, the events were immortalized in the 2000 film The Dish, starring Sam Neill, and it was the top-grossing movie that year. Can you believe it's been 20 years since 20 years that movie? Well, I was just thinking, bloody hell, it's been seven years since the Doctor Who 50th anniversary. <laughs> 
And now 20 years ago, wow, the dish. Yep. And when did it come out? It came out in Australia 19th of October 2000. Wow. Um... On the 10th of August 2020, the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico damaged by a broken cable. So one of the auxiliary cables that helped support the metal platform in place above the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico uh, broke on Monday, uh, causing a 100-foot-long gash on the telescope's reflector dish. Operations at the UCF managed observatory are stopped until repairs can be made. The facility has endured many hurricanes, tropical storms, and earthquakes since it was built 50 years ago. Repairs from Hurricane Maria in 2017 are ongoing. Though, through it all, the facility has continued to contribute to significant breakthroughs in space research in the area of gravitational waves, asteroid characterization, planetary exploration, and more. Just curiously, is this the same telescope observatory that was used in, um, what was that movie? Um, Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Yeah. Yes. Is that? That's oh. the, probably the most famous uh, movie that has it. It's in a couple of others, but yeah. It's where uh, Sean Bean dies again. <laughs> and again. And I mean, again. he died twice in that movie, so... <laughs> Uh, um, on the 10th of August, Google Maps glitch uh, sees Brisbane River na- renamed Ithaca Creek. So a young map lover t- tried to correct the name of a local creek has instead triggered the renaming of the Brisbane River and many of its connecting waterways. 13-year-old Aiden Amir spends much of his time poring over maps and even had a Google Maps cake on his 8th birthday. The family lived by a creek that was listed as the Brisbane River, so naturally Aiden set about trying to get it corrected. Google responded and said, okay, we'll look into it, Mr. Amir said. Uh, ABC radio listeners uh, said Tuong Creek and Kabula Creek were among the connecting waterways to get the rebrand in the glitch. <laughs> yeah, someone screwed up on the back end there. <laughs> or- I'd hate to... It's the, the Google AI. Yep. Because I'm pretty sure nobody actually works at Google. It's all just a, an AI somewhere. I'd hate to be the in- intern maintaining that AI. On the uh, 10th of August, 2020, Brandon Lee uh, the, and his croak, Brandon Lee's crow costume sells for 25k at auction. So a costume worn by the late Brandon Lee in the crow sold at auction over the weekend. Uh, the distressed black shirt, leather pants, and trench coat from the 1994 cult classic was nabbed for 25000 according to Krauss GWS Auctions. Lee wore the costume in multiple scenes, including one the final shootouts uh, in the movie, according to photos included with the lot. Brandon was once offered the chance to play his father in a biopic, but he turned it down. I was a little scared by the whole thing, really, Lee explained in an interview. It's strange to play your own father, you know. I couldn't really wrap my mind around it. Yeah, I don't blame him. Yeah, that would be a bit weird. Yeah. Um, On to our remembrances. On the 11th of August, 1854, Macedonio Meloni, he's an Italian physicist noble for demonstrating the radiant heat has similar physical properties to those of light. Maloney's reputation as a physicist rests principally on his discoveries in radiant heat made with the aid of the thermomultiplier, a combination of thermopile and galvanometer. In 1831, soon after the discovery of thermoelectricity by Thomas Johann Seebeck, he and Leopoldo Nobili employed the instrument in experiments especially concerned 
with characteristics of, in modern language, black body radiation transmitted by various materials. He used an optical bench built, uh, fitted with thermopiles, shields, and light and heat sources, such as Locatelli's lamp and Leslie's cube, in order to show that radiant heat can be reflected refracted and polarized in the same way as light. He also studied the magnetism of rocks, electrostatic induction, and photography. He died from cholera at the age of 56 in Portici. Portici. 11th of August 1990, Andrew Carnegie, Scottish-American industrialist and philanthropist. Carnegie led the expansion of the American steel industry in the late 19th century and became one of the richest Americans in history. He became a leading philanthropist in the United States and in the British Empire. During the eight, last 18 years of his life, he gave away $350 million, which is consecutive, cons- conservatively $65 billion in 2019 dollars, based on a percentage of GDP, to charities, foundations, and universities. Almost 90% of his fortune. Uh, Carnegie devoted the remainder of his life to large-scale philanthropy uh, with special emphasis on local libraries, world peace, education, and scientific research. With the fortune he made from business, he built Carnegie Hall in New York, New York, and the Peace Palace and founded the Carnegie Corporation of New York, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, Carnegie Institution for Science, Carnegie Trust for the Universities of Scotland, Carnegie Hero Fund, Carnegie Mellon University, and the Carnegie Museums of Pittsburgh, among others. He died from bronchial pneumonia in Lenox, Massachusetts. After his death, his last 30 million was given to foundations, charities, and to pensioners. He just wanted to have his name written on everything. <laughs> so much for graffiti tags. <laughs> Parry this, you casual. <laughs> 11th of August, 1972, Max Thieler, a South Af- African-American vi- virologist and physician. He was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine in 1951 for developing a vaccine against yellow fever in 1937, becoming the first African-born Nobel laureate. He spent several years investigating the amoebic uh, dysentery and trying to develop a vaccine for rat bite fever. He, uh, after becoming assistant to Andrew Sellett, he started working on yellow fever. In 1926, he, um, they disproved Hideo no- Noguchi's hypothesis that yellow fever was caused by bacterium lep- Leptospira ah, ichthyoridis. In 1928, the year after the disease was identified conclusively as being caused by a virus. So uh, he found the virus. So he so he made vaccines for it. And in ni- between 1940 and 1947, the Rockefeller Foundation produced more than 28 million uh, doses of this vaccine and finally ended yellow fever as a major disease. In 1937, he, Max found a fil- filtrable agent known that was a known cause for paralysis in mice as well. So this virus is referred to as Stylus murin encephalomyelitis virus. So the virus has been well characterized and now serves as a standard model for studying, for studying multiple sclerosis. He died from lung cancer at the age of 73 in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, 11th of August 2014, uh, Robin Williams, 
American actor and comedian, he is often regarded by critics as one of the best comedians of all time. He was known for his improvisation skills and the wide variety of memorable roles he created. He began performing stand-up comedy in San Francisco and Los Angeles during the mid-1970s and rose to fame for playing the alien Mork in the sitcom Mork and Mindy. After his first starring role in Popeye, Williams starred in several critically and commercially successful films including... Good Morning Vietnam, Dead Poets Society, Patch Adams, One Hour Photo. He also starred in box office hits such as Hook, Aladdin, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, Goodwill Hunting, and Night at the Museum Trilogy. He was nominated for four Academy Awards, winning Best Supporting Actor for Goodwill Hunting. He also received two Primetime Emmy Awards, six uh, Golden Globe Awards, two Screen Actors Guild Awards, and five Grammy Awards. He died from suicide at the age of 63 in Paradise K, California. His widow, Susan Schneider Williams, as well as medical experts and the autopsy, attributed his disease to his struggle against Lewy body disease. Yeah, that was a very tragic, tragic passing. It was. Yeah. What was your favorite uh, Robin Williams movie? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of them. Ah, man. Uh, I still think um, Patch Adams would still be one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I watched that once. My girlfriend was like, watch this, it's funny. <laughs> and then I got to the ending. I wasn't ready for the ending. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been watching uh, Mork and Mindy with my girlfriend for the last few years. Oh, yeah? It still holds up quite well. Uh, what was the... What was the t- I, I do remember he had a cameo appearance in Friends with Billy Crystal. That yeah, one- he had a, a lot of um, minor appearances before he was in Mork. Hmm. As I understand it, like um, the character Mork was a uh, was a like an episode in um, in Happy Days. Yeah, yeah oh, so, yeah, I've vaguely seen that one. Yeah, 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 it was in um in Happy Days, and then they liked him so much they were like, "All right, do more." <laughs> that was that, that was fun. Yeah, that and fun. Uh, the story goes that when they wrote the script for Mork and Mindy. They would basically just have, like, for Mork's part, they would have Robin does something. <laughs> um, so moving along. So Yisrael Cristal was uh, the ne- is the next one. Uh, he, what date was his? Sorry. Ah, here we are. On the 11th of August, uh, 2017, Yisrael Cristal uh, was the oldest living Holocaust survivor. At one point, he was the world's oldest man and one of the... L- 10 oldest men ever to ever at his death at 113 years and 330 days. He worked as a confectioner and celebrated his bar mitzvah to make up for being unable to hold his original ceremony at the age of 113. <laughs> he died at, on the um, 11th of August, 2017 in Haifa. And, I, I love uh, that he, he got to 113 and was like, screw it, I'm a teenager again. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And his uh, status was verified after documents confirming his age were uncovered in Poland. Wow. <laughs> that must have been a lot of digging. So uh, on to our birthday. So on the 11th of August, 1858, Christian Eidman was born. He was a Dutch physician and professor of physiology who discovered that beriberi was caused by thiamine deficiency. And uh, with Fr- Sir Frederick Hopkins, he, dis- he received the Nobel Prize for physiology or medicine for discovering vitamins, calling them vital amines. <laughs> yeah, calling them a vital amine is um, a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, thank God for vitamins. <laughs> thank God. Uh, it wasn't until Christ- uh, 
Casimir Funk renamed them Vitamins. Eichmann was born in Eichmann was born in Nick Jerk. Nick Kirk, I mean, sorry. On the on the same day in nineteen eighty oh, not eight, 19, 1987, Enid Blyton was born. Enid Marine, Mary Blyton's uh, children's books have sold more than six hundred million copies, including Noddy, uh, Famous Five, Secret Seven, and the Classic Adventures of the Wishing Chair and the Faraway Tree series. She was criticized in her life for her writing. Uh, lack lacking literary merit, and some of her stories have been criticized for racist themes, including characters such as gollywogs who resemble racist stereotypes. Yeah, looking back on it, a lot of stuff there wouldn't fly these days. Oh man, I used to be really into uh, Enid Blyton books. Uh, they were f- they, they were good to read, but then as uh, then later on, you just went like, God, what was I reading? They're good stories, but. When you get a bit older and you learn the context of things like gollywogs, it's a bit yeah. Yeah, uh, it's uh, later on. Um, she felt she felt she had a responsibility to provide her readers with a strong moral framework, so she encouraged them to support worthy causes. In particular, through the clubs she set up or supported, she encouraged and organized them to raise funds for animal and pediatric charities. And there have also been several adaptations of her books for stage, screen, and television. She was born in East Dulwich, London. Um, on the 11th of August, 1950, Steve Wozniak was born. Uh, he, was one of the, he was one of the founding Steves of Apple <laughs> along with Steve Jobs. Um, and uh, Woz, which was his nickname, was the main designer of the electrical systems of Apple computers, while Steve Jobs oversaw the case design. And Rod Holt designed the switching power supply. He was born in San Jose, California. Just You're curi- still the best, Steve. Fight me. <laughs> okay, just curiously, did you have you ever seen the um, the Steve Jobs movie, the one with Michael Fassbender in it? I haven't. Is it uh, good? It's good. And Seth Ro- Seth Rogen plays uh, plays um, Steve Wozniak to a T. Like <laughs> okay. And apparently, like in the movie, they actually hate each other. Like it, um, Steve, like they, it, the, it was a portrayal of um, Steve Wozniak saying to Steve Jobs, "Like acknowledge the people who made the first Apple possible." And Steve's like, "No, nah, screw you." <laughs> that does sound like Steve. Like you could say when- Steve kicked orphans, and I believe it. <laughs> I mean, Steve Jobs, to be clear. <laughs> I've heard a lot of bad things about Jobs. Because oh. Jobs was, you know, an arsehole. And sure, he was one of the founders of Apple, which is now like the biggest company on earth or something like that. No, must not be. Um, oh, it's the first company to reach a trillion dollars on the US stock market. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, so, you know, it's now an absolutely massive company, but uh, Jobs was horrible to people. Oh, yeah. And uh, was at least, maybe he's also horrible to people, but since he doesn't, you know, he doesn't try to play himself off as being such an amazing person, no one notices. But considering he's done a lot of philanthropy, I'm inclined to think he was nicer. Have you seen the, have you heard about what what Was is doing now? Apparently he's trying to sue Google as well. Really? What's he suing Google for? Um, he's suing Google for the uh, false advertisement in relation with what happened on Twitter with the tw- uh, with the recent Twitter hack. 
Okay. What did Google advertise? I don't um, I understand think it was the... the... Oh, yeah, it was the YouTube Bitcoin scam. So he's suing them about a hack someone did on Twitter. Yeah, so... About a scam on YouTube. So the story goes, so Steve Wozniak, he's uh, filed a lawsuit against Twi- uh, uh, against um, Google over a YouTube scam that allegedly used his name and likeness to convince viewers to send cryptocurrency during a fake Bitcoin giveaway event. Oh, okay, yeah. Because they hacked a lot of celebrities and were like, I'm going to double your Bitcoin, send me your Bitcoin. And uh, just like any Ponzi scheme, that never happened. Yeah. Luckily, they didn't get away with much. Oh, come on, 117000 that's a That's a lot of money. In terms of major scams, it's really not. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, so on the onto our events. So on the 11th of August, 1934, the first federal prisoners arrived on Alcatraz. Alcatraz, formerly a military prison, become, uh, became a high-security civilian penitentiary with early residents, including Al Capone and Machine Gun Kelly. There were no known successful escapees. However, there is a debate in particular about whether a team or team of three might have escaped using rafts made from raincoats. In 1972, Alcatraz opened to the public with more than more than one million annual visitors. You reckon so, they made it? Nah, escapees? I doubt it. Like with shark-infested waters. <laughs> I give them pretty good odds, actually. Um, because Mythbusters tested it, it's definitely possible because the Mythbusters successfully escaped on a, a raft made of life of raincoats. The um, and there's a lot of other little coincidental things that uh, add up. That uh, you know, there's not a lot of solid evidence, but there's a lot of um, of little details, and it's one of those stories that I want to be true. Yeah, you have to like. Here's the here's the thing. You have to be like very accurate, <laughs> very very accurate to um to predict the weather and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You'd want to make sure um you know you pick the right time and weren't going against the tide, which I think they did talk about um on MythBusters. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm impressed with the uh, the quality of their escape plan, though. Mm. Making fake bodies to hide in the bed with um <laughs> with heads modelled after themselves, <laughs> finding a way out, building a raft out of raincoats. Oh, that would be! Uh, can you imagine trying to get out of um the maximum trying to get out of Alcatraz now? It'd be virtually impossible with all the high tech weapons and drones and whatnot. Well, it'll be a lot easier because no one's actually guarding Alcatraz. I know, I know, the but it's just crossing the bay because San Francisco is pretty, uh, pretty rough. Yeah, but let's say, for example, they they do they revamp Alcatraz again into this big yeah. jail again. Like, let's say they do that. Like, can you imagine with all the drones and with all the sniper with all the high tech sniper rifles and whatnot? Can you imagine that happening? Yeah, it wouldn't be possible. No, it would be much more difficult. Yep. Yep. So uh, on the same day in 1942, actress Hedy Lamarr and composer George Antheil received a patent for a frequency-hopping spectrum communication system. Uh, this technology is the basis for wireless telephone and Wi-Fi along with many wireless transmission standards. However, at the time, the U.S. Navy wasn't interested in, in inventions from outside the military. The invention was classified as red hot. Bet the military would have been kicking by then. Yeah, so they didn't want anyone else to use it, so they classified it. But 
they weren't going to use it themselves because a civvy made it. <laughs> so uh, 20, 23 years later, and Bostock 3 launched from Bike, Baikonur um, Cosmodrome. Cosmonaut Adrian Nic- Nicolay unstrapped himself from the seat and became the first person to fr- free float in microgravity. The next day, Vostok 4 launched carry, um, carrying Cosmonaut Popovich. The uh, two missions flew in formation and were the first spacecraft to use radio to communicate with each other. The US believed that the USSR had in had an orbit maneuvering. This was false, but of course the Soviets were happy to let them think that. Actually, the Vostok missions were launched with high precision to bring them together at the right time. Sneaky Russians. <laughs> they colluded! They colluded! Like they didn't collide, they came within a couple of kilometers. <laughs> Uh, and uh, finally, luckily, on the 11th of August, 1984, uh, Ronald Reagan didn't start a war with a joke. While doing with a mic check for uh, before a radio address, Reagan said, My fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> Fortunately, this, di- this didn't. Dr. Strange loved the whole world. I think this was Ronald Reagan's version of trolling on Twitter. Yeah, kinda. I mean, if Trump tweeted, we bomb Russia, which he wouldn't, he'd tweet, we bomb China. But if Trump tweeted that, you'd listen, right? <laughs> I think the whole world would listen <laughs> and just go mad. Yeah, everyone would go nuts because it is nuts. <laughs> Remember the time how he remember the when Trump said like he would bomb North Korea like with fire and fury. Is there anyone he hasn't said he would bomb? Nah, I don't think he's uh, um California. <laughs> okay, though he uh, has pulled out. Um, was it the fires? He pulled out aid for California because he was like they're not my voters. Uh, so. Uh, Anything else before we uh, wrap up? No. Where can they find us, DJ? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, bestofcan.com, where we're in archive of our old episodes and merchandise. Uh, they can also find us on Pod Hero, where, Professor, you uh, you know what Pod Hero is. Yes, support us for $5 a month. Listen to podcasts on Pod Hero, and your five dollar a month subscription gets split between the uh, the hosts of each podcast that you listen to. So if you listen to more of our episodes than another person, then we get them. Uh, well, it's proportional to the amount of each podcast that you listen to. And uh, Pod Hero don't take a cut unless you choose to take the six dollar a month uh, support Pod Hero as well uh, subscription. Yeah, awesome. awesome. And uh, check out um, our other podcasts on the uh, that's not Um What's the newest one that come out the other day? Uh, Pop DNA. Check out Pop DNA. They have some cool um, stories uh, in relation with pop culture, and they see the traces of literary and historical influences of your favorite works of pop culture. Anyways, that's all we have for this week. Take care of yourselves, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.